Introducing the new way to play daily fantasy with Jack Market. Jack Market is where daily fantasy sports becomes a stock exchange. Buy and sell shares of players with other users in real time. Make money every hour, every minute, every second of every game. That's NBA, PGA, and NFL. Take control of your fantasy sports experience and download Jack Market now in the App Store. Android coming soon. Wrapping up week one with big takeaways from Sunday's games and a first look at the waiver wire on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Hello everyone and welcome in to Fantasy Football in 15 for Monday, September 14th, week one of the 2020 NFL season, just about in the books, 14 games down, two more to go here on Monday night, and what a week one it was. We will break down some of the bigger news from week one here on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. I am Michael Beller. I am joined by Derek Van Riper. DVR, how has week one shaped up for you thus far? All in all, pretty good week. Uh, no major DFS wins on Sunday, unfortunately, but uh, season-long teams look pretty good, and I don't think I was dead wrong about everything, so uh, I'll take a <laughs> W for the week. Always a good feeling, right? Always a good feeling. Uh, same here, uh, season long, very successful season-long day. Um, I, I think I made like five bucks overall in DVS, so we'll take that. <laughs> uh, the uh, the uh, Bengals loss really Ooh, that, that one stung a little bit. Although my best bet of the week, which you heard on Friday's uh, episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, over 47.5 in uh, Raiders and Panthers, was uh, a breeze of a game. And speaking of breeze, we well, were behind the Saints, too. So all in all, a very good day for us here in week one. And a good day for some guys. We're going to talk about that uh, to kick this off here. The first guy who I want to talk about, DVR, one of our big week one takeaways, Joshua Kelly. He's got a role in this Chargers offense. I think it is absolutely safe to say that. Austin Eckler, I wouldn't be too concerned about him. The dude still had 19 carries. Got 84 yards on those 19 carries. But Joshua Kelly got 12 carries, turned that into 60 yards and a touchdown. I think Joshua Kelly, not only does he have a role in this offense, and that's something we take away, he's probably, if not the number one waiver guy to go after this weekend, certainly in the top three or four. Yeah, and I don't think you have to go completely bonkers with the bidding either. I mean, I think you could get him for maybe 30 to 35% of a budget as opposed to going 50-plus percent because Austin Eckler's still there. The weirdest thing to me isn't that Kelly was getting meaningful touches, but it was that Austin Eckler only had one catch, and he was only targeted one time, and it was a close game. I just would have thought, given what we've seen from Tyrod Taylor in the past and given how Austin Eckler was used a season ago, that Austin Eckler would have been at least in the, the six-target range. I know Mike Williams played and actually was featured a lot more, nine targets for Mike Williams, but the shape of Austin Eckler's production was also surprising, I guess, on top of Joshua Kelly getting 12 carries of his own. Yeah, this is why I was a little concerned about Austin Eckler. He does his best work as a receiver, and that vibed very well with the way Phillip Rivers plays quarterback. And that takes us right into our second big takeaway, six receptions for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, the That's where he made his biggest impact in his first game 
as a pro for the Colts. The Colts, of course, were one of the uh, surprise losers, and there were many upset victories across the league in week one. But Jonathan Taylor turned nine carries into just 22 yards, but got six targets, caught all six of them, 467 yards. On balance, I think you'll take the 22 yards rushing on one game if it also came with 67 yards receiving if you are invested in Jonathan Taylor. And then, of course, on top of that, it sounds as though Marlon Mack has suffered a season-ending Achilles injury. Yeah, Marlon Mack, I think, was going to be a thorn in the side of Jonathan Taylor. I mean, in a more positive light, they were going to work in tandem throughout the season, and then Hines was going to come in and, and catch some passes. But I think with Marlon Mack out of the picture, my confidence level in Jonathan Taylor, despite the relatively quiet debut on the ground, is pretty high. Six for 67 through the air is a big deal. I think he was fourth in the team in targets. Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton, and Naheem Hines were all targeted more. Uh, but this was a weird game script. We kind of thought the Colts were going to roll over the Jags and there'd be plenty of carries to go around. I think for the afternoon, they had 21 designed run plays. One of those went to Paris Campbell, but nine carries to Taylor, four to, four to Marlon Mack, and seven to Naheem Hines. Phillip Rivers isn't going to throw it 46 times every week, so there's going to be plenty to go around in the Colts' backfield. So, uh, yeah, definitely a big surprise to me that Taylor was that involved in the passing game, though, given that that was Hines' function in the past. Yeah, and Hines still got his, right? Eight catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. Like we said, Phillip Rivers, he loves throwing the ball two running backs. It was true for Austin Eckler last year. It looks like it's going to be true for Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines this season. Let's get one more takeaway in the mix here, DVR, before we move on to some other things. I want to talk about Cleveland's backfield because Kareem Hunt got more carries than Nick Chubb. And if that happens in week one, and I am a Nick Chubb drafter, I took Nick Chubb with the 15th overall pick, 16th overall pick, right where he was going in ADP. I am very concerned after Kareem Hunt got more carries than he did this first game. What a clunker for the Browns. I mean, I know going on the road to Baltimore is a tough opening week assignment, but are you kidding me? 38-6, to they didn't score after the first quarter. More of the same from Baker Mayfield, you know, under 200 yards through the air. A chopped up backfield, a quiet day for OBJ, even though he's targeted 10 times, only three for 22 for him. Uh, David Njoku was actually outplaying Austin Hooper, but then he got hurt. I, I hate this team so much. I'm so sorry <laughs> to people who are born Cleveland Browns fans. Like they, they should be so good, and <laughs> I'm so disappointed in them coming out of Week One. I don't know what to make of the backfield situation in particular. We talked about the Kareem Hunt extension on a recent episode, and. I just thought that solidified his pass-catching role from a season ago. I didn't really see any scenario in which a healthy Nick Chubb would receive fewer carries than Kareem Hunt. I mean, Kareem Hunt won a rushing title. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I, I get it. Like, he's a good player, but Nick Chubb's a great player, too. Yeah, and 13 carries for Kareem Hunt, 72 yards. Nick Chubb, 10 carries, 60 yards. So they both ran the ball well when they got their opportunities. But this just can't be how it is for Nick Chubb if he is going to come anywhere near living up to ADP. So just one game, and one game against a very good team, potentially the best team in the NFL. So not writing off the Browns' offense as a whole just yet, and certainly not etching in stone that this is the backfield breakdown. 
but it is something that has to have you at least a little bit concerned if you are invested in Chubb and a little bit more excited about Hunt if you are invested in him. We've got some injuries to talk about, three big ones that we're going to hit on. And of course, these aren't the only fantasy-relevant injuries, but hey, we've only got 15 minutes, so we narrowed it down to these three. We already talked about one, Marlon Mack. Uh, sounds like, at least as, the, as you and I, Derek, are recording this, it is a season-ending Achilles injury. We don't yet have confirmation on that, but all signs do point in that direction. So Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines look like they will have their roles in this offense increased from where they were already going to be, and certainly for Taylor, that was already going to be a very big role. Devontae Parker had to leave Miami's 21-11 loss to New England with the hamstring injury, did not return once he left, and this is something he dealt with uh, in training camp, Derek, so we're going to have to keep a close eye on this this week. Definitely a little bit concerning, considering this is not something that just popped up on Sunday. Yeah, that's the major issue, right? It's a soft tissue problem that he had previously that came back. It makes you wonder if they're going to have to shut him down for a little while, if it's going to cost him maybe a game or two before he's able to get back out there. If that happens, Preston Williams led this team in targets on Sunday. He had seven. Mike Kosicki had five. They would both get a bump, but is there a third option that you like, or is it really just those two guys, Williams and Kosicki? I think it's really just those two guys, and honestly, maybe Matt Breida a little bit, and Jordan Howard was another guy who left with an injury. He did come back after that injury, uh, but turned eight carries into seven yards in the touchdown, so it's not as though Jordan Howard was super effective, and of course, this could be literally the toughest matchup that Miami faces all season. We know uh, how good this Patriots defense can be, even with all the opt-outs that they had, uh, but uh, I think Matt Breida maybe is someone interesting. Miami obviously had a lot of opt-outs, too, in that receiving core, Albert Wilson, uh, Allen Hearns. So if Devontae Parker is out for a long time or just a, a few games for this Miami team, I think what was already a skinny tree becomes even skinnier. We've also got Le'Veon Bell leaving the Jets loss to the Bills with a hamstring injury of his own. And this Jets team, man, I mean, it was, what, two weeks ago that we were just sort of chuckling at them for uh, Bell leaving practice and Adam Gay saying he had a hamstring injury and Bell saying, no, 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 that's not true. I didn't have a hamstring injury. And then what do you know, week one, right off the bat, uh, Le'Veon Bell leaves with a hamstring injury. This can transition us a little bit into our waiver discussion because if Le'Veon Bell is going to be out, we have Frank Gore and Josh Adams here. Josh Adams did get a short yardage touchdown after Bell had left the game. I don't think either of those guys, however, is too interesting in the fantasy world. No, they're both low percentage bid players in leagues that use fab. They're not your top waiver priority. They're probably going to split carries. Like Gore, I don't think, would ever really be entrusted with a full workload unless the depth chart gets completely wiped out given how far along he is in his career. I'm worried about this team. I know it's a tough matchup for Sam Darnold and this group of pass catchers, but ugh, I, I don't feel good about Sam Darnold coming out of this, even though I knew things were going to be tough sledding. We've got some more waivers to talk about, but first... Yeah, believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. And with Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. It contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. It's got the optimal ratio of glucose, sodium, and potassium deliver water and nutrients right into the bloodstream. I love when the water and the nutrients go right into the bloodstream. That's what I want. Optimal ratio of glucose, sodium, and potassium. You get it right here with Liquid IV. It is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything when you order liquidiv.com using the promo code ATHLETIC. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com 
promo code ATHLETIC. All right, let's hit on waivers to wrap up this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Again, not to belabor what is an obvious point, but you pick someone up after week one, they can make a huge impact for you over the course of the remainder of the season. I don't think there were any smashing guys here in week one that we're going to go after in a big way. The one that always stands out to me when we think about that was two years ago when we had both Philip Lindsay and Tyler Boyd have these huge week one games, and they were mainstays for fantasy lineups the rest of the season. You picked them up, you invested in them, and then you started them right away in week two and pretty much for the rest of the year. That's always what I look for when we're talking about these big guys that you want to go after with vigor in week two or after week one. I don't think we have a guy who fits that here. Maybe uh, the the night games will change that for us, but we are just evaluating those first games of the uh, of the day of Sunday and, of course, uh, the Thursday night game. We already hit on Joshua Kelly. Uh, we talked about the uh, the, the uh um, Jets backfield, excuse me, as well. We talked about Naheem Hines and what he could do now that Marlon Mack uh, is likely out for the season. How about Russell Gage, Derek? This was an interesting game. Three 100-yard receivers for Atlanta, all three of them catching nine balls. No one's surprised to see that out of Julio Jones. No one's surprised to see that out of Calvin Ridley. Probably no one's surprised to see the fact that Julio Jones had more yards, but Calvin Ridley, of course, had the two touchdowns. And then Russell Gage comes in and also catches himself nine balls and goes over 100 yards. This cannot happen every single week, but I think there's maybe enough juice in this passing game for Russell Gage to at least be rostered in in deeper formats. Yeah, I think it's got to be a full PPR league because of his role as a primary slot guy. You know, he's a little undersized, and they do have Hayden Hurst there. It was a quiet week for Hayden Hurst, if you would have told me. One of Russell Gage or Hayden Hurst was going to get 12 targets in week one. I would have put my money on Hayden Hurst. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe there was something about this matchup that just was extremely favorable for Gage. We'll see if Seattle has similar issues defensively going forward. I just I want to be careful with my bidding here. I don't think he's a, a week over week sort of guy that you're just going to set and forget. I mean, they threw it 54 times by necessity and, and still lost by 13 in this game. Another big standout receiver is Robbie Anderson. You know, a guy who didn't get a ton of attention after the move from the Jets to Carolina, but he, Robbie Anderson, in his first game with the Panthers, and what do I mean by that? He had a 75-yard touchdown, and that's what you expect. That's what you're hoping for when you put Robbie Anderson into your lineup. I want that one big score, and he got that. Also caught six balls on total for 115 yards, so he had five more catches that went for 40 yards, and then, of course, the big one, a 75-yard touchdown that really made his day. That's the story with Robbie Anderson, uh, but I think that what you take away from this is that Teddy Bridgewater can hit that deep ball with a guy like Robbie A. Yeah, he can. I think the tricky thing here is that they have a tight end who I like and Ian Thomas, and they also gave Curtis Samuel a decent number of targets in week one as well. So Anderson, I think, still needs those big plays to become uh, more than a – I don't want to say a dart throw, but if he's going to be someone you feel good about every single week, we need to see that target volume stay up. And there are plenty of times with the Jets where he flashed potential like this and he'd disappear for several games. So uh, I've been burned enough times to know that it's not an automatic that Robbie Anderson continues to play at a crazy high level. Uh, It's encouraging, though, to see him get involved that way from the jump. I think if I'm looking at receivers on the wire this week, Paris Campbell probably edges out Robbie Anderson for me because mm-hmm. I think he's got a little less competition for targets in that Colts offense. And then you get the Packers options too, Alan Lazard and Marquez Veldez-Scantling available in some shallow leagues as well. I think they're going to be their own worst enemy, whereas as guys who are secondary options in the Packers offense and you know, both bring something to the table. But 
I'm not sure one is necessarily good enough to overtake the other and be the clear-cut number two behind Devontae Adams if they're both healthy. Yeah, Scotty Miller probably going to be in the mix, too. He had five catches for 73 yards in the Buccaneers' loss to the Saints. That's just a few names. So We will have much more waiver coverage, a full look at the waiver wire. You can get that right now if you are a subscriber to The Athletic in Jake Seeley's waiver column. You'll also be able to get that a little bit later today from me, Jake Seeley, and Brandon Funston when the full Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast episode is up and available. Look for that late morning, early afternoon on the East Coast. That is going to do it, however, for this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. If you are not a subscriber, if you're saying, hey, I want to read that column by Jake Seeley, but I'm not a subscriber, well, guess what? You can get in right now for $1 a month. Just go to theathletic.com slash fantasy or slash football in 15. That's theathletic.com slash football in 15 and get yourself a $1 per month subscription to The Athletic. For Derek Van Riper, I am Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15 will be back with you tomorrow.